Welcome to the Shit Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Broder. Are you ready to shoot the shit? Welcome back to the Shit Talk Podcast. It's Liz Broder. How is everyone? Happy Monday. I took last week off. I was away and I had a nice little reset, but I missed Shit Talk and I'm so excited to be back. I debated, you know, do I do an episode in advance, which I've done before when I travel and it, you know, drops on Monday is scheduled and I'm out of town, but it's just been too much. I've been busy. So I decided not to do that and took the week off and it was quite relaxing and I'm really glad I did. So I hope everyone had an amazing week last week and perhaps got caught up on another episode if they've missed it or other podcasts that they're listening to. But here we are. We're back. We've got shit to talk. It's almost August. Holy F. I'm not going to say it. Trying to curb the language here. But today I'm talking about the circadian rhythm and the gut. It's never been more relevant for me because I just returned from a trip abroad. I went to Portugal five hours ahead. So Needless to say, a few kinks to the circadian rhythm, which I will get into, but a few things before I get into today's topic. I want to do some follow-up from my last episode with Nikki Parlitzis, which was part two of our Japanese toilet bidet and westernized toilet episode, and it was recorded before I went to Portugal. We were talking about bidets, blah, blah, blah. If anyone's been listening, they know I love my tushy bidet attachment. So I went to Portugal, and they do definitely have bidets in both Lisbon and the Algarve, both of my hotels had a toilet and a freestanding bidet. One thing that I found really interesting, and my friend, I went with a girlfriend, and we both found interesting. So our Lisbon hotel had like super round toilets and the bidet was round. And it was really uncomfortable because like, you're going to laugh, but both of us almost fell in because the radius of it was so wide. Like normally your toilet is oval and you sit on it. And that's what it was like in the Algarve. I took pictures of both. Don't worry. DM me if you want them. (laughs) But um, in Lisbon, it was literally like a circle. So I'd never seen like a circular toilet before. And I sat on it and I literally almost fell in. And then she said the same thing. And I was cracking up because it's like, I wonder how many people actually do fall in. But anyway, I didn't use the bidet, the freestanding bidets in either. And especially the round one. Oh my God, forget it. What a mess. What a mess. Way too big of a radius. So, but yeah, that just... Um, closes out my little, for now, it doesn't close it out, but it, it, a nice little round out to the hinge research, speaking to expats, their Western night toilet experience. And if their countries had bidets, Portugal definitely still has them in their hotels. So love that. But I have to say, I definitely missed my tushy bidet attachment. I really did. I've become attached to the attachment and I'm happy to be home using it. One more thing before I get into the topic. This is on supplements. I was just home in Connecticut. My parents were watching Sadie. When I travel, oftentimes for longer periods of time, Sadie goes to what I call Camp Connecticut. She plays with her grandparents. She sleeps in their huge king-size bed. She enjoys all the square footage. She enjoys the lush green yard that I cannot provide for her here in Manhattan. She lives it up. She is a pig in shit. I mean, loves it. Point though, is I was there picking her up, spent the night and my mom and I were going through her supplement routine. 
And I just wanted to make a note. I'm not going to get into why she takes what she takes or yada, yada. The point is most supplements have more than just one thing. And she was tallying up her vitamin D and tallying up her calcium. And she takes like four or five things. And before you know it, she's at a huge amount of vitamin D, a huge amount of calcium. I pull out this other thing. I'm like, oh, this has 800 milligrams calcium. She didn't even know it had calcium. So I just wanted to mention it. This was just earlier today. So very top of mind for me. Don't just take supplements just to take them or just because a friend recommended them and be sure, you know, maybe you need vitamin D you're taking a vitamin D supplement. Oftentimes vitamin D or whatever in this situation example, I'm talking about vitamin D. Oftentimes there are other vitamins and other things in supplements. It's not just one thing. So I had a patient, sorry, not a patient, uh, a client, and it was a friend as a matter of fact, and she was taking biotin for hair loss postpartum. So she had like a biotin supplement. She had a postnatal um, multivitamin that had biotin. Then she had one other thing with biotin. And before you know it, she had a crazy amount of biotin. Like the point is you might be supplementing for one thing, but what you don't realize is you're, it's in five of your supplements. So look at what you're taking, read the ingredients list, read the nutrition facts, see what, how much of each ingredient or vitamin, whatever it is you're taking. And just be sure you're not taking a crazy amount of something. Cause my mom and I had to do some math. I'll say she was the one doing the math, but we were tallying it up. And it was like, there was vitamin D in five different things. Before you knew it, she had like this insane amount of vitamin D she was taking in every day. So just be aware of what you're taking, read the labels. It's just a good reminder. It's so easy to just, you're taking something forever. And then you happen to add something in. You don't even realize it has something you're already taking. And then before you know it, there you are. So I just wanted to mention that She's not alone in that. I've done that before. And I've had, like I said, clients who have done that before. It's really easy to do. So take a look at what you're taking. Now, on to today's topic, the circadian rhythm. I have to say, this is probably my second favorite topic. We all know water and hydration is my number one, but the circadian rhythm, what is it? Why does it matter? What does it impact? Is it relevant to shit talk? I'm going to break it all down. First, what is the circadian rhythm? I'm sure most of you have heard it. Maybe you haven't. If not, happy to introduce you to it. Most people have heard it. Maybe they know what it is. Maybe they have an idea. Maybe they don't. What is it? So according to the Institute of General Medicine Science, the term circadian rhythm refers to our body's internal organization of biochemical processes that follows a 24-hour cycle and regulates various aspects of our behavior and physiology. Our circadian rhythms are produced by collections of genes and proteins within our bodies that exhibit, exhibit rhythmic activity, and you may hear them referred to as body clocks. The master body clock is a structure in the brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, referred to as SCN. So I will continue to refer to it as SCN instead of saying suprachiasmatic nucleus. I hope I'm even saying that right. But so the SCN is the master body clock look structure. It's in our brain. Additional body clocks called peripheral body clocks are distributed throughout organs like the liver, the pancreas, the colon, they all have their own clock. And the master clock in the SCN regulates the activities of these peripheral clocks and the peripheral clocks interact with one another and provide feedback to the master clock and your SCN. So I'd imagine it as our brain is the master clock this has the SCN, AKA like the control center. And our organs have the peripheral body clocks that interact with each other and provide feedback 
to your control center and your brain, AKA the SCN or the master clock. So oftentimes people refer to just circadian rhythm. The body actually has a lot of circadian rhythms going on at once. Each organ basically has its own. And then you have the main control center, master clock operating from the brain. But as a lot of things, they all talk to each other. No one's just off in the corner by themselves eating their sandwich with no friends. It's one big lunch table and everyone's invited. As you can imagine, together, these internal clocks or your timekeepers generate our circadian rhythms, and this affects many important aspects of our health. The obvious would be sleep and wake cycles, because that's typically what circadian rhythms are used to refer to, but also things like our hormone balance and metabolism. To keep our bodies running on schedule, our body clocks need to be synchronized with each other. And there's cues from our external environment, different stimuli like light, temperature, your food intake, your food timing, those cues sync our body clocks and initiate circadian rhythms. So depending on what cues we provide with our body and when we provide the cues over the course of a 24-hour circadian cycle, we either are keeping our clocks ticking in sync with each other, or we're throwing them off and disrupting the cyclical processes and therefore your circadian rhythm. And disruptions to our circadian rhythms have been linked, unfortunately, to many disease processes, including metabolic syndrome, obesity, cardiovascular diseases, leaky gut, IBD, which is um, inflammatory bowel disease, neurodegenerative diseases, and even, unfortunately, cancer. So just a small example, um, deviating a little here, but just to talk a little bit about circadian rhythm and sleep and just like explaining the clock. I mentioned in the travel constipation episode that our bowels have their own circadian rhythm. Here now we know those are one of the peripheral body clocks because one of the org- we have all these circadian rhythms, our organs are known as like the peripheral peripheral ones and I said this in the previous episode but I didn't name it the peripheral body clock. But so the bowels have their own, which is why they're most active within the first one and a half hours of waking, usually if the clock is synced properly. And this is why a lot of people actually poop better in the morning because the bowels are more active in the morning. You also have heard me brag about the fact that my circadian rhythm is fully optimized. So when I'm saying it, I'm referring to my sleep and wake schedule. This means I wake and sleep basically at the same time every day without assistance. I naturally wake up, no alarms, and fall asleep, no alarm, you know, no aids at the same time every day. I will tell you this shifts for me around one hour with the time changes from daylight savings. So for example, and the reason I'm only, the reason I'm referencing this is because I have talked about it in other episodes and I just wanted to like paint the picture now that we're doing the background on circadian rhythm. So for me, when I say it's fully optimized, what this looks like is April through October, I will wake up naturally around 5.50 AM. I go to sleep around 9.30. I don't really care what your opinion is of that. I like to go to bed early. It doesn't mean my eyes are shut and I'm asleep at 9.30. It means I'm in bed, winding down, Sadie's to my left, we're relaxing. Now, in the winter months when days are shorter, so I'd say like November through March, I usually wake later, closer to around 7.30, and I'll sleep, I go to sleep around the same time because the days are just, it's dark at four o'clock here in New York City. Um, But no, I don't use alarms. Um, Clearly I'm impacted by the light, so the earlier the sun is rising, the earlier my body clock naturally wakes up, which I have to say is pretty cool. And I also want to mention, it wasn't always like this. 
I was definitely not like that growing up. I definitely was not like that in college. I've always naturally been an early riser, someone who's early to bed, early to rise. I've never been a night owl. I've never pulled an all-nighter. I never understood those. And people were like, oh my God, I'm so unprepared for the exam. I have to pull an all-nighter. I'm like, well, first of all, it's like we knew this exam was coming like three months ago when we started the quarter. We had quarters at Santa Clara. It's like, one, you knew this was coming. Two, for me, pulling an all-nighter, it's like I can't function without sleep. I'm one of those people. So I'm going to do much better on the test if I don't do as much studying but get my sleep rather than don't sleep at all and pull an all-nighter. I don't like those. I don't mean to digress, but never understood it. Anyway, my point is my optimized circadian rhythm has come later in life on my what I call my adult schedule. So I'm an adult. I live the way I want to live. I have a job. I have a dog. I have designed my life to be exactly as I want it, not to brag, but yes, it's, I do what I want and I have it laid out the way I want to do it. That's a lot harder to do when you're a student or when you're living under your parents' roof, when you have to go to school, when you have after school activities and all this nonsense. Um, and even in college, it's harder to do. So just letting you know, I'm not sitting here acting like I'm superwoman. That's something that has definitely come later in life as an adult, as I've established these routines back to business. Circadian rhythms influence so many different functions in the body. Like I've mentioned, hormone release, it impacts cortisol, which is our known as our stress hormone. It's also used to help wake us. And circadian rhythm also impacts melatonin. That's another hormone. It helps us sleep. Um, it impacts our eating habits, digestion, even body temperature. Cortisol, I want to mention, the, as we know, stress hormone, it's shown to naturally rise in the morning. So it should be naturally a little high in the morning because it literally helps the body wake up. That's normal. It's important for people if they think they have high cortisol or have a lot of stress or other issues you can discuss with your doctor or dietitian. It's important for people to actually get blood work done to see their cortisol levels because it should be high upon waking, but it's when it doesn't naturally drop back down, we see issues and when it's an indicator of higher stress levels. And this can lead to things like maintaining, um, heart, making it harder to lose weight and you maintain oftentimes fat around the gut. It makes it a lot harder to lose. That's typically what we see with high cortisol levels, but other things as well. Um, and most people notice the effect of circadian rhythms on their sleep patterns and are referring to their sleep when we mention circadian rhythms, like I just said, but cortisol ties into that because cortisol should be high in the morning when you first wake. That's the only reason I want to mention it. And that's why it's also tied in to our circadian rhythm. Now, the SCN, the main control, um, controls the production of melatonin, which as a lot of people I'm sure have heard of, it's a hormone that helps make you sleepy. Oftentimes people supplement with it in the evening. But so the SCN receives information about incoming light from our optic nerves, our eyes, nerves through the eyes, and this relays information from the eyes to the brain. When there's less light, like at night, the SCN basically lets the brain know start making more melatonin. And this is why you start getting like sleepier, more relaxed. Some may even say drowsy and fall asleep. But so the SCN absolutely has a huge impact on hormones, cortisol, and melatonin to name two of the main ones, both of which impact our wake up and fall asleep cycles. That's why I'm mentioning that. And then to talk about jet lag. So like jet lag and light from electronics, those are two of the biggest factors that will throw a kink in your circadian rhythm. And this is why blue light usage can be so harmful for falling asleep and our circadian rhythms. Circadian rhythm changes can cause sleep disorders and may even lead to other chronic health issues. I mentioned some previously, but obesity, diabetes, depression, even things like bipolar disorder and seasonal affective disorder. 
So when you're jet lagged, for example, you're passing through different time zones and your biological clock will be different from the local time. Your biological clock does eventually reset, but this happens at a different rate for everyone. It often takes a few days for it to actually align with the new time zone. And while it's aligning, that's when we experience that jet lag. I actually found this interesting. It's been said that adjusting after gaining time, so AKA when you're traveling from New York, if you're traveling West or if you're traveling from Europe back to New York, heading West, it may be slightly easier for your circadian rhythm to align with the local time than when we lose time um, just because of how the brain adjusts differently in these two situations. So like I said, if you're in New York going to California or you're in Europe going back to New York, it's most likely going to be an easier adjustment than when we come back to New York from California, aka when we're headed east, or when we go to Europe from New York City, again, heading east. I thought that was interesting. I think everyone may be a little different with that. And again, depends on different factors, but yeah, I don't know. For me, anytime I head east means, because I'm based in New York City, if I'm heading east, it means I'm going overseas and I'm most likely going on a trip. So when I go, I find... I don't really experience jet lag because I'm so excited. So it's, I don't know what it is, but it's usually easier for me to just get on their time and I'm fine. The hardest jet lag I ever experienced was in Indonesia. It took me two and a half days to get there. Some like remote island off of Bali. It was incredible. Um, it's called Sumba. But that is probably the only trip I ever had. I stayed there eight days where I remember like literally being up in the middle of the night and I just, I read like so many books and I was very relaxed, but that's the only trip I remember where I truly like, wasn't sleeping and I was like up all night and like couldn't figure it out. But other than that, typically when I'm going on a trip, I'm excited. It all works out. The circadian rhythm doesn't even affect me. It's normally coming back. And I just think the drag of getting back into routine can also impact that. Okay. Shit talk. How does all this relate to our shit talk? Because you obviously know it does. You know what I'm going to say here. If your circadian rhythm is out of whack, you can be sure as fucking shit that your gut and your bowel movement regularity and your overall well-being are going to be out of whack too. So it was actually discovered pretty recently that cells in the intestine have their own circadian rhythm or rhythms. It's not shocking at all because I don't want to sit here and be like, I told you so, but like, as we know, the gut runs shit, not just shit, but like it just runs everything. Your gut is literally the powerhouse to everything. And you know what? You can quote me on this later. You know, all science points to the SCN in the brain and that that is like the master clock in the brain. Fine. But mark my words, science in, I don't know how many years, is going to somehow lead back to the gut and be like, actually, turns out the circadian rhythms in the gut are really the true master clock. I believe that because it, it just, it all stems from the gut. But anyway, I, I didn't run science. I'm not sitting here saying that's true. I'm saying I have a feeling down the line, science is going to discover that. Anyway, so your gut's circadian rhythm influences things like your gut motility, which is just the way your GI tract moves food along through the, GI, through the entire GI tract. It influences gut motility, nutrient absorption and metabolism, and even cell proliferation. Disruption of the circadian rhythm caused by abnormal sleep or wake cycles causes problems, as we know, and makes intestinal cells more susceptible to injury. So it's not surprising that research has shown circadian rhythm disruption can be linked to GI diseases like IBD and colorectal cancer. 
because if you think about it, when you're not well rested, you're not functioning optimally, your immune system is down. We know that. You're not as cognitively sharp. You're not at 100. So the same is going to go for your gut and your gut microbiome. Everything's a little bit more fragile, more likely to lag, less efficient, and therefore can lead to injury or issues. They're more susceptible to a leaky gut or to IBS or to this colorectal cancer or things that lead to the colorectal cancer. And interestingly, the circadian rhythms in your gut are not limited to only intestinal cells. It turns out your gut microbes, like the actual bacteria in your gut, also play a key role in the regulation of circadian rhythms. So your gut's microbiome undergoes its own circadian rhythms every 24 hours, and these involve changes in the actual gut microbiome. These changes to your bacteria in the gut regulate things like gene expression and our biochemical pathways in the gut and throughout the body. Through these cyclical mechanisms, our gut microbes' circadian rhythms affect our own circadian rhythms, which regulate the sleep and wake cycles, hormone release, and metabolism, like I've said previously. Also, our circadian rhythms provide feedback to the gut microbes. So all that said, our circadian rhythms are linked to the circadian rhythms of our intestinal cells and gut microbes in a multi-directional feedback loop. I don't know if you can call it a loop because multi-directional, I guess that would be bi-directional, but multi-directional loop, we can, whatever uh, shape you want that to be, i.e. factors that influence the integrity of the gut affect the circadian rhythms and vice versa. So trying to keep your gut circadian rhythm in sync with other circadian rhythms, excuse me, with other circadian factors like your sleep and wake cycles and food intake patterns appears to be a crucial part for preventing diseases associated with circadian disruption. So that said, this brings me to my next topic of our diets and meal intake and meal timing. Light and temperatures are the factors that primarily affect our master body clocks via the brain, and our gut's circadian rhythms are primarily influenced by food timing and food choices. So I'll say that again, because I said it kind of awkwardly. Light and temperature are two the two factors that primarily affect the master body clock in the brain, or the SCN, like we said, through the optic nerve and the eye message to the brain. Your gut's circadian rhythms are primarily influenced by your food timing and your food choices. That makes perfect sense, because directly impacting your gut, what you eat, when you eat. So things like leaky gut or gut imbalances from our diet, as well as inconsistent eating times, can disturb both our intestinal cell circadian rhythms and our gut microbiome circadian rhythms, which of course then affects our entire body because as we know, if your gut is fucked, your wellness is fucked. A 2015 study on mice, annoying, it's mice, but you know, Again, doesn't mean it's not applicable to humans, but we can't say it was on humans, it was on mice. Still, I find the information helpful. A 2015 study on mice fed them a high-fat and high-carb diet loaded with polyunsaturated fats and processed sugars, aka it was designed to replicate the standard American diet, because that's what we eat here in America. <laughs> not going to comment on that, because that's a whole episode in and of itself. But anyway, the mice showed deep disruptions in their intestinal and gut microbiota circadian rhythms, and these disrupted circadian rhythms also altered the metabolites that their actual gut microbes produced, which then messed up the gene expression in the mice's body clocks. So the messed up gene expression showed a down regulation in the mice's metabolism, which led to the development of a dysfunctional glucose homeostasis, high cholesterol, and obesity. 
So this research really helped us see that a high fat, high carb, standard American diet screws with the gut circadian rhythm and has systemic effects on body clocks, not just our gut's body clocks. And all of this impacts the metabolism. I found that fascinating. And then obviously led to things like screwed up glucose control, high cholesterol, and obesity. And just in case you're wondering, a diet that is low in processed sugars and polyunsaturated fats and rich in healthy fats and antioxidants has been shown to normalize gut circadian rhythms. You know you didn't need me to tell you that, but yes, a healthier diet is going to support a healthier, more synced circadian rhythm because it directly impacts the gut. And as we saw from this study in 2015, a standard American diet totally fucks with the gut and gut microbes, impacts their circadian rhythms, and can lead to, like I said, the cholesterol, the obesity, and screwing with our ability to manage glucose efficiently. Oh my God, what? Like, you're telling me a shitty diet impacts my gut microbiota, which then impacts my gut microbiota's circadian rhythms, which then impacts the actual metabolites produced by my gut microbiome, which as we know, the gut's microbes and metabolites, like short-chain fatty acids, excuse me, short-chain fatty acids, basically impact everything. Yes, we, we know this. I'm not going to get into short-chain fatty acids. I, a fiber episode probably covers them best. But as we know, that's one of the most important metabolites we get from a healthy gut microbiome, gut microbiota. And when you're eating a shitty diet and it impacts your gut's intestinal cells, circadian rhythms, and the gut microbes' actual circadian rhythms, the metabolites that they give off are altered, aka there's less of those healthy things we need, the short-chain fatty acids. So it, it, it's just wild to me. It's just wild to me. Like the control that the gut has and how it really just does impact everything. And I'm not done. Things like meal skipping and eating late at night can also disrupt intestinal cell and gut microbiota circadian rhythms. Time modifications to these types of eating behaviors have been shown to normalize gut microbe rhythms. This is why things like intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating has been seen to be helpful and gotten trendy in recent years because it allows eating during a certain window, during a certain time of day, and helps avoid that late night or erratic eating patterns. Intermittent fasting like this has been found to normalize abnormal gut microbes rhythms and reverse some of the negative effects associated with circadian rhythm disruption, things like insulin resistance. So long story short, what you eat and when you eat matters. A few quick tips just based on what I said. Tip number one, avoid the standard American diet, which is high fat, high carb, high processed foods, high sugar. I don't mean it rudely, but it's like, we all know that at this point, but seriously, like tip one, change your diet, avoid that standard American diet. Tip number two, avoid late night eating. Tip number three, avoid skipping meals. Be consistent. Tip number four, if you struggle with my tips two and three, perhaps you are a good candidate to try intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating. I will do an episode on that. That's not something to just jump into. You've got to be educated on how to do it and what it means and what you're doing because just all of a sudden starting with a 16-hour fast out of nowhere, when you fat, when you know your normal fast is 11, 12 hours, it, it's going to be annoying. It's going to be hard. You're going to get frustrated and you're going to throw in the towel. So you got to do it right and you have to know what to do. But the point is, our diets really do, once again, impact everything and meal timing and skipping meals or eating super, super early or super, super late or being super inconsistent with how you eat. That all plays a role because this is going to impact 
the circadian rhythms of your, not just your intestinal cells, but the gut microbiome cells. I hope I made that clear. So I said before, like the peripheral body clocks, which are in the organs. So we have intestinal cells that have their own circadian rhythms. And then what research found more recently, our actual gut microbiome or gut microbiota. So the actual bacteria in your gut have their own circadian rhythms. So there's two circadian rhythms there at play in your gut. One's from the actual organ, the cells within the organ, and then one's from the actual bacteria. So you can imagine how what you're eating and when is going to directly impact those because there you are, that's your gut, that's your GI tract right there. Everything you eat impacts that. And then in turn, those talk to all your other circadian rhythms and all the other organs. And of course it all talks to the brain. And, you know, I hate to say it like this, but it's like, you fuck shit up. You fuck one thing up, it fucks the whole thing up. So you got to stay synced. As, as I always say, stay regular. You want to stay regular. There's a lot of things that contribute to constipation, not staying regular. In this case, you want to stay synced and staying synced is going to help you stay regular. But I digress. That will be, that's, you know, for another episode. But just a few tips before I sign off. I I do want to touch on maintaining a circadian rhythm because here I am barking at everyone. You got to maintain it. So a few things, some obvious, some may not be obvious on how to stay synced. Sleep and wake at consistent times. It's definitely easier said than done, but try to go to sleep at the same time every night and try to wake up at the same time daily. The consistency is key really with everything, but once you get your body into a groove of, okay, I'm in bed at 10. Okay, I'm in bed at 11, whatever it is okay, I'm up at six, even if every single day, and this is what I'll say with clients, like if they're working on trying to establish a morning workout routine, because for whatever reason, it doesn't work with their evening and they're having a hard time. I'll say, set your alarm, whatever the time is, say you need to set your alarm for 6.30, set your alarm for 6.30 for a week. You don't even have to get out of bed and work out. Just get your body used to getting up at that time and being wakened at that time. Then the next day, excuse me, the next week, Still set the alarm, wake up, put your workout clothes on, go enjoy your coffee. Then week three, stick with the alarm, put on the workout clothes, actually go to the gym. It's all about consistency. So, and I know, sorry, I didn't mean to like, that is for a different thing. But the point is, set your alarm for the same time every day. Try to go to sleep at the same time every day. That really does impact your body because think about it. Our bodies are cyclical and the more it can predict wind down time and wake up time, the more successful it's going to be. If you have these crazy sleep patterns, no, of course that's going to kink your sleep and your circadian rhythm. So consistency. And when you go to sleep, when you wake up, another obvious cut the blue light. I say three hours before bed. If you can, this is off screens, TVs, computers, phones, iPads. This is why I love podcasts for night because I play my podcast. I set it to turn off, you know, an hour or whenever the podcast ends, it's plugged in charging next to the bed. I don't have to look at the screen. I'm in bed and I'm listening. Try that. Catch up on your shit talk. Catch up on your other podcasts, whatever. But this adds time to how long until you fall asleep because what the light signals to your brain via the optic nerve. So long, I, I made that confusing, but cut the blue light. I say, try to cut it three hours before bed if you can. And what I just said, that didn't make sense. The longer you engage with blue light before bed, the more time you're basically adding to when your body's going to start to wind down because that light is signaling to your brain through the optic nerves about the light. So it's all, I'm not going to say it's tricking your body to thinking it's light out, 
but it's screwing with the system. It's throwing a kink in the rhythm, which means long story short, it's going to take you longer to fall asleep. I hope that makes sense. But that's why I cut it if you can, as early as you can. And these days the iPhone has those like, like shift into evening mode or whatever, when it like mutes the light. So it's not as bright, do all that, do everything you can to set yourself up for success with that. My next tip, don't eat and drink close to bed, cut off food and drink again, three hours before bed. So digestion doesn't keep you up. And also so urgency to pee doesn't disrupt your sleep. Cause again, if you're up in the middle of the night peeing, that's going to disrupt your circadian rhythm and your synced, this succinct circadian rhythm. Try to lower things like sugar, caffeine, and again, avoid the standard American diet. Caffeine, you know, I get it, but if you can cut it up by 2 p.m., I think that's really helpful. Sugar just throws blood sugar um, levels haywire, which can, of course, impact sleep. So sleep, because it impacts energy, makes you tired, then you need something to energize you, then it makes you tired again, up and down, up and down. You know, sugar is just not good. So Lower your sugar intake, lower your caffeine, try to cut caffeine off by 2 p.m. and avoid the standard American diet. My next tip is get outside and move your body. One, a lack of physical activity and lack of sunlight can impact your internal clocks. And two, well, this one, this one's up for debate, but exercising later for some people stimulates and wakes up their body and can keep them up. If you find you work out later and you're having trouble falling asleep, try a morning workout. I still don't think you should skip it. But the point is getting outside, get the sunlight on your eyes, helps signal your, you know, day is going. When you're inside all day, the body, like what, what light are you getting? It's, you need the natural light. That's point number one. Point number two is be cognizant of when you move your body. I am always an advocate for a morning workout, but that doesn't work for everyone. And that's okay. Whether it doesn't work for their schedule or they don't like it or whatever. And sometimes sleep is more important. And again, that's fine. But moving your body for me helps stimulate waking up, getting everything moving. For some people, when they do that in the evening, that can impact their ability to fall asleep because it, it revs them up and can make them not really tired and screw with the system. So that's something to be noted of if you are a late afternoon or evening mover, workouter, and you find you don't fall asleep, try moving it to the morning. My next point is try to be intentional with your eating and drinking. I love water first thing in the morning to hydrate, signal to my body, we're here, we're up, get started, start the metabolism. Some light also, encouragement to jumpstart. Um, you know, if anyone listens to Andrew Huberman, I'm not like obsessed with the Huberman podcast like everyone is, but you know, he definitely has good information. But anyway, he's very big on, I don't wear sunglasses. I get outside. You want sunlight on your retinas within 20 minutes of waking to signal, you know, that it's the top of the day and that helps the circadian rhythm. He is right. Like at least based on the science. And I, you know, I, I hear that. And that is something I try to do. It's definitely something I try to do if I'm jet lagged. It's hard, but if you are jet lagged and you wake up and it's early, but you're tired, or whatever, get outside and get that sunlight on your eyes. It's really going to help sync up the circadian rhythm with, and your biological clock with where you actually are, which time zone you're actually in, because that sunlight signals. Here we are. Good morning. Start the day. Here we go. Another thing, skip the naps that I mean, I'm sure it goes without saying, but like is obviously going to kink your circadian rhythm if you're up and then all of a sudden you sleep again in the middle of the day and then you wake up and you're like groggy. Like that's confusing to the body. 
here it's operating, it's up, it's moving, now it's going back to sleep. Then you're waking it up again. Then a couple hours you're going to sleep. Like, no. I'm, if you need a nap, it's a one-off, fine. But like in general, skip the naps because that will definitely kink your skinny rhythm. My last tip, which I kind of already touched on, but I'll keep talking about. It's, I'm a huge fan of morning routines. This is why for me, like I have a water routine. I have a workout routine. I have a sunlight routine. All these things help indicate to my body that it's morning. They say to my body, you know, we're starting, get started. We're moving. Water is flowing. System is moving. Body is moving. Sunlight is hitting my eyes, signaling it's morning. And I think it's really important, even if you choose just one of these and you work on incorporating it into your day, I think it's really important to have some sort of morning stimuli stimuli you rely on to help your body know, okay, it's morning, time to get going. Let's do this. And again, like anything, don't expect to do this one day and have a fully functioning optimized circadian rhythm where you're just popping out of bed with no alarm. No, again, consistency is key and consistency is always going to be key. Pick one of these. If you don't do any of them, do it every day for a month. See how it goes. Add in another. Stay consistent with the bedtime. Stay consistent with the sleep times. And you'll see day by day, waking gets a little earlier. You fall asleep a little bit faster. It's all just supporting your body and letting it know where you are where you are in the schedule. It's morning. How can I let my body know it's it's morning? How can I signal to it to get revving? And breakfast is another thing that helps with this. And again, I will do an episode on intermittent fasting specifically for that, but that's another great way. I also touched on in the travel episode to avoid jet lag, but a way to, when you break that fast, it's helping to signify to your body. It's the top of the day. So that's my take on the circadian rhythm in the gut. That's this week's shit talk. I have to say, for me, that was really interesting. I really enjoyed it. I hope people actually enjoyed this episode <laughs> as much as I did. Um, but I find the circadian rhythm to just be so fascinating because it's like we have more control than we think we do. And there's so many things we do in a day that control so many other things that we don't even know. And I think knowledge is power. And if you can work on one or two of these things, like staying consistent with you when you go to sleep, cutting off food, you know, three hours before bed, whatever. One of the things I touched on, if you can work on one of these things for the next month, six weeks, you're going to see an improvement in your circadian rhythm, in the ease of waking up, in the ease of falling asleep, different things like that. And then of course, you know, as a dietitian, I always have to touch on the food topic you know, we're gut focused here. So the gut microbes and how they have their own circadian rhythm, like that's just wild to me that like, that's just wild, but it's a good reminder of like everything you put in your body impacts that gut. And it doesn't just impact like, Oh, I'm gassy. Oh, I'm bloated. I mean, like when you eat and what you eat is directly impacting your gut microbes circadian rhythm too, which then impacts your whole system circadian rhythm. So I just think it's so interesting and fascinating. And I love that. That's it. Everyone, please have an amazing week. And until